Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are here with Brianna with our next book discussion. It is about This Is Not a Book About Benedict Cumberbatch by Tabitha Carvin. The basic premise of this book is find something that you enjoy and can find pleasure in regardless of what anyone says. Yes. So the vast majority of the book, she goes into the female experience specifically and how women in society are kind of encouraged to let go of their hobbies and focus on being a mother and taking care of a household and kind of like you're not a professional if you have fun hobbies type of thing. And with her, the turning point was when she had her children and then one day just started watching Sherlock and became obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch, which I feel like a large chunk of society did, yes. especially during the 2012-2014 period. Yes, that was a big phase in the world. It was. Benedict Cumberbatch's takeover, yeah. In all the varieties of his name and yes. everything. Yes, that's what, that's what my husband loves the most is making fun of his name, as she mentions in the book, like yeah. the name generators of his name and everything, yeah. And I believe she talks to, like, a linguist at one point about mm-hmm. how the different names come up. Yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> it has to have a certain consonant position and certain vowel sounds that fit to, like, sound like his name mm-hmm. in that comical way that Benedict Cumberbatch comes out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. On page 157, she has a paragraph that starts with, Because disavowing our past selves is part of the fabric of the female experience, too, isn't it? It's not that baffling. We shoot our memories in the head, but it's in self-defense, a preemptive strike against the future denigration for loving the wrong thing or loving it in the wrong way or being the wrong kind of girl. We're not like that anymore. You can't hold it against us. We're always staying one step ahead, holding ourselves to account, acting our age, always on the outside looking in. You can't get hurt that way, which is good, but it's hard to cultivate a coherent sense of who you are when it's built on how you seem. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful, like, idea. Because, like she said, like, anyhow you mentioned, Mm -hmm. it's about the female experience, and it's so true. Her example is, like, men who are obsessed with sports, and their favorite sports team is their entire personality, and that's Mm -hmm. socially acceptable. And it makes me think, like, reading that about... Um, like my husband is obsessed with retro games. Like he loves the original NES Mm -hmm. and Super Nintendo, but like that's cool and socially acceptable to be into retro gaming, even though he just loves childhood video games. But Mm -hmm. when girls do it, where we're obsessed with something like a boy band, that's cringy. It's like a different standard. Or when a female is obsessed with something that is considered standard male obsession Mm -hmm. acceptable, Um, like females getting into sports Mm -hmm. it's hard because there's such like a you're a fake fan you're only in it to look at the dudes like there's such that culture to it yes too that it's very hard i know well i watch hockey um that's not (laughs) surprising to anyone who knows me (laughs) but even there i know recently there was a whole scandal because the, the one major media figure essentially said that 90% of female fans are fans because of the one guy that plays on the one team. And I feel like that's what females encounter Mm -hmm. when they try to get into something that's a typically male-dominated obsession. 
Yes, and it's it is so common, like you said, because we actually went to Boston to see the Contortionist, which is a progressive metal band mm -hmm. that my husband loves. And when we were there, he made a comment about how the only women at progressive metal concerts are wives and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. But then we stood behind this woman who was in the coolest jean jacket, covered in patches, and was going ham dancing. <laughs> like she was yeah. so excited, and she loved them so much. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be like, it was too loud for me to be like, I told you so. <laughs> Look at this woman; she's enjoying it authentically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I feel like I resonated with the part where she was talking about how her coworker has like the sports tattoos, mm -hmm. but like, you know, this, yeah. most people know this. I have my nice little Dr. Who tattoo that I made very like, if you know, you know, yes. type of a deal. And I think females have to think about that more Yes, because of this notion that when you grow up, you can't love things you have to be productive and you have to be like serious and you have to be a go-getter when really people are very complicated and convoluted yes and it's like I think it's perfectly valid to have things you're passionate about like my I have a very good friend from college who is very similar to Tabitha who writes this book because her thing was she was obsessed with One Direction specifically Harry Styles for the longest time mm -hmm. and then as she sort of grew out of that obsession she's now obsessed with Adam Driver and she does the same thing that she talks about in this book where she she has seen everything that Adam Driver has ever been in, um, mm -hmm. especially because he's in, you know, like Star Wars and all of the, oh my gosh, there's so much that that man has done yeah. cinemagraphically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it's one of those where I never thought hard about her passion for it. I think we all used to tease her when mm -hmm. she liked Harry Styles. We thought it was funny. We thought it was weird that she would go to all these concerts. We're like, okay, you've seen him like seven times. You're good enough. But mm -hmm. like she just was so passionate about it because it just made her genuinely happy. Yeah. And I think that's really what she gets to at the core of this book is that you should have something that you find joy of. There, In the beginning of the book, she talks to a woman who goes to a therapist because she's like, I don't know what's happening yeah. to me. Like, I feel like I'm losing control of her life. And the therapist is essentially like, you have a hobby, ma'am. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, like, she thinks she has a pathology. But the yeah. therapist is like, it's not pathological. It's just you you have a hobby that you are passionate about, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets to your thought you had mentioned of, like, hobby versus obsession mm -hmm. when we talked last about this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think another interesting point in this same area is on page 143, where she talks about people asking her if her husband approves of her mm -hmm. hobby. She states, because when you ask, what does your husband think of all of this? What you really want to know is, have you performed all the necessary psychic labor to make sure your feelings are, you know, okay to share? And I think that's a very prominent part of, not even like just husband, but like society of being like, yeah. I like this thing now. What are your thoughts? Yes. Let me know mm -hmm. if it's cringy or shameful or bad. Yes. That's it's, part of why I like being at the library is because I feel like reading and binge watching are two things that we enable people to do, which yes. is great. And I've had people call looking for like certain, especially like we know she mentions like the romance readers, like mm -hmm. women who read romance novels. It's so denigrated. But it's one of those things where like so many women are passionate about these topics. And I like that mm -hmm. I get to give them permission. Like when people call about a book and I'm like, oh, have you tried this series yeah. too? Like here's <laughs> another one in what you're looking for. Like it's okay. Like I want to make sure I'm always giving people permission in that mm -hmm. way. But we shouldn't have to ask for it in the first place. Right. Yeah. 
And she discusses it early on in the book, too, on page 55. I have a quote pulled out here. If you're a girl who really loves a thing, it's never just about you and your thing. Everyone else makes it their problem. You can't love the thing unseen, not even in your bedroom alone. You either point blank love the wrong thing, or you love the right thing, but in the wrong way, Mm -hmm. or for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that speaks to what you said earlier mm-hmm. of, like, the concerts and, like, telling girls are not in it for the right reasons. And, yeah, I know. It's something that I feel like I never really thought about until it was pointed out. <laughs> yeah, I think about it now because I remember, so my version, like, my into this understanding is that when I, because she talks about, like, the things she was passionate about mm-hmm. when she was young, is that I was obsessed with Greek mythology for forever. Honestly, mm-hmm. it wasn't until I, like, recently have been adulting hardcore that I just haven't thought about it much. Yeah. But I was so obsessed with it, and it started because I loved the Percy Jackson books when I was in middle school. But then I remember it got to a point when I was in high school when I was really delving into the mythology and Tumblr and all the places you could find stuff on it and people would mock it and they would say oh well you're just a Percy Jackson fan or like you're just in it because of the Percy Jackson books and that's not a good enough reason and you're not a real intellectual about it that Mm -hmm. sort of thing and I think that's really what you just run into a lot of in society itself gatekeeping man yeah it's tough (laughs) I don't understand why like why can't we just enjoy the thing yeah I feel like my perspective on the entire book was just formed around my recent re-obsession with Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've watched it's... that unfold. <laughs> <laughs> no, you came into it a bit later. Oh, it's wow. Where, yeah. oh, you already did. That was you already in it. Cool. Yeah, no, because I, I went through a phase in, like, undergrad. Ah, yep, yep, yep. And that's where it started. And then it just, like, kicked back up again. Yeah. Um, just because I'm a person who I want answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I need to understand. Yes, yes. So it just started. I'm like, oh, what's this weird lore that I'm reading about online? Mm-hmm. Let's go find it out. And then it just spiraled out of control from there. Yeah. Because yeah. it's so old. Right. In terms of, like, modern day pop culture that I was just like, I need to understand. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like mine is more, I'm drawn to things because of like the fact that they explore really cool questions, but also Mm -hmm. are fun. And I've been thinking about it. So this book inspired me to think more about that. And it like reminded me of how much I loved Greek mythology and how now like the modern version is there's a lot of like Greek myth retellings, like Mm -hmm. Hades and Persephone stories that are making into a lot of romance novels. And I read a couple of those, but I would like feel guilty about reading them because I'm like, ha, this is like, this is not quality literature. But then I felt the same thing with my viewing because I also Mm -hmm. like historical dramas and things, but I always would get made fun of for watching historical dramas like Rain, which is, I love it. It's one of my obsessions. Oh my gosh, I love that show. And it was one of those shows where it was like cringy in a way because it's like romance and it's like modern stuff, like modern feminism put Mm -hmm. over all this stuff. But like, I just loved the characters and the things it would like talk about. And it felt so like just so much fun. And I felt that too with, I've fallen into the whole Bridgerton that everyone's been obsessed with. And I resisted it very hard at first because people like criticize it for being like, oh, like so cliche women's uh, storytelling. Mm -hmm. But I remember watching it and thinking like, wow, this raises a lot of really cool, deep questions about like who we are as people and like relationships. And I'm like, this is so good, but it's in fun, cool, historical dress. So it's like, I love that. And I don't want to feel ashamed for loving that, you know? On page 41, 
she goes into, when something benign as a hobby, a hobby comes to you feel transgressive, what has gone wrong there? Why does an objectively good thing like a new passion trigger an identity crisis? And I think that really goes into it of feeling that shame and, oh, is this too cringy? Mm -hmm. Even though you honestly enjoy something is very much what I feel that gets to Yes. I think it's one of those where it's easy for us to see all the judgment and the criticisms and the things that people bring to the table. And it's hard because you just want to authentically love it. And you can understand that there are things wrong with it. But that ties really well to my one of my favorite parts of this book, which was when she interviews the medieval historian about her love of Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock. This woman talks about how she got into being a professor of medieval literature because she loved medieval literature. Like she said that when she would teach the Canterbury Tales, it brought her so much joy. She genuinely loved it. But the academia has this tendency to want to criticize everything to show you're looking at it intellectually. But then at the same time, a lot of it is just that constant criticism that she felt was like destroying her love for this Mm -hmm. literature. And I think that's a lot of what we do is because, sure, a lot of the things we like are problematic. Like, some of these shows probably are definitely not historically accurate. Oh, absolutely not. And there are like so (laughs) many problems. But like, why does that criticism need to take priority over the joy it brings people Mm -hmm. in that way? You know, if it's not hurting anyone, I think, which is what she's getting at. Yeah. If you're watching a modern show for historical accuracy, you're always going to be disappointed. Oh yeah. Like that's not what you're in it for. We're in it for like the stories and the setting is what makes it Mm -hmm. immersive and fun, but you're in it for the storytelling and the characters and all those parts of it. Yeah. And then when she was talking to the medieval historian too, she goes into the context of fan fiction, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre to me to read in a book, just because I grew up in the era where you don't talk about fan fiction yep. because you will get sued. Yep. Mm-hmm. See, and I am only a few years younger than Alyssa, but I remember in middle into high school, it was starting to like really blossom. Mm-hmm. Like it was becoming more of a thing that people were like, oh, we can do this fan fiction yeah. thing. Yeah. It just made me think about how in the early, not early days, because the early day, like fan fiction really started with like zines in Star Trek mm. fandom back in the 70s. And even earlier, yeah, some, some classical <laughs> literature is fan fiction of other classic yeah. literature. Yeah, it goes back far. Yeah, but it just depends on if it's like accepted yes. or not. Yes. And the like fan produced, fan run, not published fan fiction what I believe started around Star Trek in the 70s. But it just made me think about how now Interview with the Vampire, the AMC series, like puts out tweets being like, send us your fan fiction, yeah. where back in the 90s, you would just get sued continually by Anne Rice's lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just fascinating to see that change over time. Yes. And I think it's one of those ideas that we're coming to a place where fan fiction is more respected, but it's still not totally accepted. It's uh, still considered not quite, like, especially if it's not published formally, Mm -hmm. like there's still those barriers. But at the same time, I think seeing like how she talks about in this book, like there are whole worlds that people create out of like in this, in her case, she's talking about Sherlock. I've read so many Harry Potter fan fictions and just the depth of worlds that people have created around that is just so neat. And we see a lot of it is becoming more real. Like how Mm -hmm. people talk about how um, 50 shades of gray is a twilight fan fiction. And then, Oh, there was the other one that was a fan fiction of that. Oh, I feel like the Harry Styles one after. Yeah. After. Yep. 
Um, like there's so many of those. And my favorite is, um, Laura Olympus is the new graphic novel mm-hmm. series. That was a webtoon, I believe is yes. what it was. And it's like, and it still is a webtoon. You yep, can still yep. find it all online. Right. Cause it's all, and now they're just slowly publishing mm-hmm. it formally. And it's so cool to see those things transform and prove what the medieval historian she interviews says, which is that literature for all of time has just been reworking ideas and characters and concepts and creating that way. And she talks about how medieval people expected that Mm -hmm. because they wanted to see King Arthur and the round table. Like they wanted to see those characters again. They wanted to hear those familiar stories Mm -hmm. told slightly differently. And Mm -hmm. I think we're experiencing that again with the modern world. Like we want to see these characters and we want more of them. So we want to tell our own sort of interpretations of what we would want to see. And I actually have the quote that she says exactly here. Um, It's page 120. And it is what people in the Middle Ages valued as original was a creative recombination of inherited materials. I love that phrase because that is fic, the recombination of inherited materials. Everything that a person wants just jumbled up in their brain and written out. And yeah, now it's like if you want to read King Arthur today, but you want a modern version, here you go. Yeah. And it's easy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so cool. There's a lot of, and there's a lot, that's part of why I love working with our young adult collection is I think a lot of young adult literature embraces this idea. So I read a book. Oh, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was a retelling of Little Women during um, World War Two. So it was the... Um, all of the sisters, the March sisters, and it was just a telling of their lives as if it were all taking place during World War II instead of the Civil War. And it was like, Joe works in a factory. Like, they take the characters and they do what fan fiction does. Mm -hmm. They reimagine them in slightly different situations, considering these things. I just think it's so much more fun that way because you get to take something you love and explore it in more different cool ways. Yeah, and going off of that, she also discusses towards the end of the book about lists of interests. And she talks about her friend who everyone kind of always asks, like, when are you going to redo your house? And she's like, it's not on my list of interests at the (laughs) moment. And, like, actually wrote up a list. And she suggested doing that. And she talks about, I believe she asked her sister. And all her sister could come up with for an interest was gardening. And then took a breakdown over it. And I think that concept is really interesting. Like, make a list of what you enjoy. Yes. Like, I scribbled in the margins of things I enjoy. And I'm like, hiking and puzzles and needle crafts and going to hockey games. And then she goes further and is like, which one of these aren't productive? Mm Mm-hmm. Because she goes into how traditionally women's hobbies were always productive. So you were making things, you were knitting blankets, you were doing something that was being productive by society. But how many of them are just fun? Yes. I think that's, that was a wake up call for me because I realized that the hobbies I love and the ones that I've kept as I've become more of a real adult are not necessarily the same. For example, I love to bake. I don't do it as much as I want to, But then when I had time on Sunday, I was baking. But then I was like, well, I'm making food for our household. So like, that's a productive hobby. (laughs) So I'm like trying to think of the things I'm doing that are just for me. Mm -hmm. And I realize those are the ones that I'm not giving as much time to, especially the ones that involve things that feel like immature. So Mm -hmm. like whether if I want to watch a period drama and I'm like, oh, that is so cringy. And I'm like, I sat there and after reading that, I was like, you know what? 
I really want when I'm done reading this book, I want the next book I read to be one of those fun young adult Greek mythology books I loved. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reread that. And then I was in my head like, but Brie, that's not, you have a whole pile of books you've been meaning to read, but you've already read that one a long time ago. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's not how this works. Wait, that's my productive brain trying to be like, no, add, like you need to do more new things rather than just doing something you liked because it was fun and you want to do it again. So I'm like, ah, I'm catching myself now. Yeah, kind of reframes what you do. Yes. And I think it's important for society to like do things that are just fun. Like get outside, just Mm -hmm. like go sit in the grass if you find that fun yeah like <laughs> she quotes mary oliver who believes firmly in doing things like that yeah i liked that part very much just so. like go run around get a group together play tag or something like yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah like do something that's enjoyable i mean my one of my favorite memories of the past year or two was when we went to play laser tag for my friend's birthday <laughs> and i got to watch my husband go full 12 year old boy and i have never <laughs> seen him so exerted or exhilarated <laughs> in the time i've known him than when he was playing laser tag and he got really into it like yeah. do it because it's fun yeah If you have any interests that are just for fun that you enjoy to do, uh, feel free to share them with us on comments, posts, anything at all. Email us. Maybe they'll give us an idea for a new podcast. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) But if you do have any comments, questions, or suggestions, feel free to email me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or you can call the library at 570-348-3000. Thank you. Thanks.